Hello, I'm Tony Denbach, the lead pastor of Clearview Community Church. Today, I'd like to take this opportunity to speak to you about my passion, the church. Now, I know that many have preconceived ideas about what the church is and what it has done, whether good or bad, over the centuries. But I would encourage you to listen today with an open mind. Over the years of my life and nearly 40 years of ministry, I've seen too much. I've seen people be malicious to one another. I know how much evil people are capable of. I know the kind of pain that people live with on a daily basis, and I've gotten pretty good at seeing trouble signs. I've watched as people let guilt or unforgiveness or bitterness absolutely eat them up. I've had to sit idly by and watch as relationships have been poisoned and disintegrated. I've seen too much. I know the needs that are out there are enormous. A pastor shared an experience that he had a number of years ago. He was in an airport waiting for his flight, something he had to do quite regularly. He was trying to ignore all the noise around him and was attempting to involve himself in a magazine article. But a few feet away from him, there were two boys, brothers, about seven or eight and six, who had become involved in an argument. It became physical, and they started pushing each other. And the pastor was thinking, somebody needs, needs to calm these kids down. But kids fight all the time, so he raised his magazine back up and tried to continue reading. A moment later, he heard this loud smack as the oldest child had slapped the younger one hard across the face with an open hand. By this point, he's thinking, this kid has known a violent upbringing. Parents, where are the parents? But no one came. By now, the two boys were on the floor, and the older child had grabbed the younger one by the hair and was beating his head off the hard tile floor. And the pastor was off his chair, yelling for the parents, and he grabbed this eight-year-old boy. By this point, the child was in such a rage that he was screaming and hitting his brother as the younger boy lay crying on the floor, bleeding. Still no parents. A stewardess came up to him and said, your plane is about to leave without you. She promised to control the child and find the parents as he left. So he got on the plane and he stowed his stuff and as quickly as he could, tried to find some headphones so he could drown out the scene that he had just witnessed. But he sensed God speaking to him as clearly as if he was standing beside him. God said, don't you dare forget what you just saw. You sit there and think about that. Think about the life's trajectory of that eight-year-old boy. What has he experienced already in his life? If he's hitting people and beating their heads off the floor at eight, what will he be doing at 12, at 16, at 18? At 12, he's going to be using a knife. At 16, he'll have a gun. By 18, he'll be in prison. And if things don't change, he'll spend an eternity in hell. Then he began to think, what is there that can change this child's future? Is there any hope? Is there a government program that is somehow going to make the difference? Can we just throw money at the problem? Will education make the difference? It was then that he was really struck with the idea that the only power that can radically change a life for the better is the power of Jesus Christ, the same power that resides in the container of the church. The church is the hope of the world. What can change that young boy, some Jesus follower who's committed enough to get involved in a child's life 
and who can love them to the point where that child will receive Christ and have his heart transformed. I've seen it happen. I'm firmly convinced of this truth, folks. The local church is the hope of the world. Now, how does that work? It just takes a few people to start. A few people who are serious about their faith in Christ will set off a spark in a local church. When they get excited and start sharing their faith with their friends and with their neighbors and they start responding, it sets a church on fire. You get a few life-giving churches on fire and you can set a community on fire. You set a few communities on fire and you can change a region. You do that enough, you can transform a province, a country, and the world. And that's actually the story of the Reformation that shaped most of the good things in our Western civilization. We've just forgotten about most of those things. Those are the possibilities. But sadly, most churches aren't like that. Let me just speak frankly today. I'm not church bashing because I love the church. I'm committed to the church. It's the passion of my life. But I've been in and around the church almost all of my life. And what I've seen is that many churches do not resemble the picture that is painted for us in Scripture. They are not a biblically functioning community. They're not reaching out. They're not making an impact on their community. Let me share with you some sobering statistics. Pollster George Barna, in a North American survey, revealed some facts about North American Christianity. According to the hard data, the longer someone has been a Christ follower, the fewer non-Christians that they come in contact with. They end up in a kind of bubble where their only friends are those with whom they attend church and church events. And the second thing is the fewer times that they will share their faith with anyone. Because real relationships take time, many stop investing their lives in the lives of people who do not share their convictions. And the third thing he learned was that the fewer people they will invite to events at which the gospel will be shared, the longer they are Christians. Now, this also follows because they simply don't have those people in their lives. Now, this should be just the opposite. The longer you follow Christ, the more passion there ought to be for those who need to hear the message. In Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, Jesus here speaks of two different elements, salt and light, each of which are purposed to have an effect on their environment. Salt was incredibly valued in the day and age in which Jesus was speaking because there was no such thing as refrigeration. In order to preserve meat, it had to be salted. So salt became so valuable, it actually, in some cases, was used as currency. If you had salt, you could store meat for a time, and if you didn't, it would rot. But the value of the salt was in its effectiveness. If it wasn't effective as a preservative, what good was it? It had no monetary value in itself, like gold and silver. If it wasn't effective for seasoning or preserving, 
It was worthless. This is what Jesus was saying to his followers in this quintessential sermon about the kingdom of God. He was saying that it's not about you. It's about your impact in the world and the difference that you can make in expanding God's kingdom. In our context, it speaks of the power of influence. See, John Maxwell wrote that sociologists tell us that even the most introverted individual will influence 10,000 other people during his or her lifetime. Now, that's a lot of people, and perhaps you have a hard time believing that figure. So, estimate one on your own for your own life. How many people do you think that you will influence in your lifetime? Even if it's only a dozen, that in itself carries with it a weight of responsibility. Do we carry with us the flavor of Christ? In 2 Corinthians, Paul describes Jesus' followers as having the aroma of Christ. Is that true of you? Is there a noticeable difference between you and others in the world? This speaks to the essential importance of our private spiritual life, our personal spiritual life. We must have the goods if we're ever going to share the goods. How can I point others to Christ or lead them into a relationship with Him if I don't have a growing relationship with Him myself? William George Jordan said that into the hands of every individual is given a marvelous power of good or evil, the silent, unconscious, unseen influence of his life. This is simply the constant radiation of what man really is, not what he pretends to be. The church cannot and it must not be about pretending. It does not matter essentially what you think of me. What matters is what God knows of me. Imperfect, yes, but growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, the best thing that many churchgoers could do is to come clean, stop pretending, apologize, pray a prayer of repentance, and start again. Have you lost your saltiness? That's a good question. Jesus then uses light as his second analogy. It is a popular one in Scripture. As John began his gospel, he wrote in, in John 1, 4 through 5, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In this introduction to his gospel, John is declaring Jesus to be the creator God who himself has entered his own creation. He is the source of all true spiritual light. In John 8 and 12, Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So how powerful is it then that Jesus chooses to say of us, his followers, you are the light of the world? Wow. Think of the power of that statement. How valuable is light? Life is very difficult without it. So much is missed. In Isaiah 59, 9 and 10, the prophet gives a very vivid picture of a life without God's light in it. He says, so justice is far from us and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness for brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. Life without God is like this. It's dark and foreboding, merciless and hopeless. Now fast forward to the next chapter in Isaiah where he gives a prophetic look into the future for God's people. 
In Isaiah 60, verses 1 and 2, he says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. The power of those three letters is immense. B-U-T, but. How often do we see this word tagged onto a sentence which points out all the challenges that we face? The world is a dark and dangerous place, but the Lord rises upon you and here comes the light. And herein lies the power of the church. A church that truly follows Christ is the presence of the light of the world living in us. See, the light can be painful at times as well because it is revealing. It first reveals the truth about us. That's one reason that many people choose to reject Christ. They would rather hide away with their junk and keep it secret. But there are no secrets with God. So he first cleans us up so that we can better reflect his light to others. And I'll say it again. The best thing that many churchgoers could do is to come clean, stop pretending, apologize, pray a prayer of repentance, and start again. See, the Christian life is a process. When you think you've made it, that's when God starts to deal with your pride. Remember in Matthew 5, 16, Jesus is speaking of the power of example, of living lives in front of others that are attractive enough that it points people to God. He said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Rochelle Goodrich wrote something I think that applies to a lot of people. It says, you can't make me be nice. You can't make me be good. You can't make me believe. But your example, your kindness, your patience and love will affect me perhaps enough that eventually I may choose to do those things. My friends, we live in a world that is often ugly, like the story that I shared about the pastor in the airport. Sometimes we just want to put on the headphones and forget about it. But the Bible tells us as Christians, we are to be in the world but not of it. We are God's ambassadors to this world, speaking peace, inviting reconciliation. There are changes that need to be made. There are homes that need to be transformed. There are marriages that need to be restored. There are lives that need to be infused with purpose. There are spiritually dead people that need the life of Christ. And that's just in the church. The world has a greater need. Nelson Mandela served 27 years in jail on Robbins Island prison off the coast of Cape Town, South Africa because of his opposition to apartheid, the cruel political system that denied rights to most of the population based on the color of their skin. Many years later, someone discovered the lost tape recordings of those trial proceedings. In them, they found this. Mandela said, ladies and gentlemen, Ending apartheid is a cause for which I will gladly invest every day for the rest of my life and a purpose for which I am fully prepared to die. Wow, that was quite a statement and even more impressive because he meant it. Well, what are you prepared to die for? Or rather, what are you prepared to live for? Jesus Christ claims to be the answer to the world's problems. He said, come follow me. The simple question today is, will you? Would you pray with me? Dear God, we need you. We live in a world that is drifting far from you. 
But in the middle of the chaos, there is a tremendous spiritual hunger. To the hungry you declare, I am the bread of life. To the lost you say, I am the way. To those who stumble around in the darkness, you say, I am the light of the world. Would you help us to bear witness to that light? To reflect your light to those around us? Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves and to enhance your reputation by the way we live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in a sinful world. May he give you courage to do what is right, regardless of the consequences, and to shine his light in dark places. Amen. Thanks for watching.